Good evening. Good to see you this evening. I want to start by reading Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 1. Matthew 25, starting in verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were prudent. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the prudent took oil and flask along with their lamps. Now while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight there was a shout, Behold, the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, No, there will not be enough for us and you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. Later, the other virgins also came, saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. There's a line in that that is very sobering, maybe even terrifying. It's the latter part of verse 10. And the door was shut. This may be the closest thing to a hellfire and brimstone sermon you ever hear me preach. When I was a, a young boy, I was scared of the dark. So I combated that by going to bed at like six o'clock. It's still light outside, right? Now, as you can imagine, that wasn't a great idea because I'd wake up at two or three in the morning fully rested. And you know what it's like at two or three in the morning? It's completely dark. So I would make the journey down the hallway to my mom and dad's bedroom. My dad was always more than willing to let me crawl into bed beside him. My mother, not so much. She would escort me back down the hall to my room as I wept incessantly, and she was angry. Finally, one night, she had had enough. I crept down the hallway. I went to turn the doorknob ever so gently, hoping not to wake her hoping to go in, and my dad let me get into bed on his side. But when I turned the knob, it was locked. I guess my mom thought at 15 years old I should learn how to sleep in my own bed. (laughs) That's a joke. I wasn't 15. (laughs) So I began beating on the door and crying incessantly, let me in, let me in. But she would have none of it. She just angrily shouted back, go back to bed. That's when I learned that my mother loved sleep more than me. Actually, I understand her actions now that I've had kids. The parable of the ten virgins is one of three parables in Matthew chapter 25, and all of them have the same theme. You probably noticed it. It's preparation. It's about being prepared. You don't know when Jesus is coming back. Therefore, get ready now. And before we dig in to what we just read in Matthew 25, we have to remember that the original manuscripts didn't have chapter breaks and verses and all that. Very seldom do you see a completely new thought from the one that preceded it. And certainly the case here in Matthew chapter 25 is that the words that came before it, Matthew 24, have much relevance for what we just read. So you got to back up. And in Matthew chapter 24, we see that Jesus has a lot to say about two events that often get combined into one. Remember Chicken Little? The little chicken that thought the sky is falling because of acorn or whatever. Fell on its head, ran around screaming, the sky's falling, the sky's falling. 
There are no shortage of chicken littles running around today ready to tell us that the sky is falling. We call these end times forecasters or eschatological prognosticators. You know what eschatology is? It's the study of end things. Plenty of guys and girls that are ready to say that the events that are happening in the world today point directly to the fact that Jesus is coming soon and the world is on the edge of annihilation. So anytime you see an earthquake or a tsunami or, you know, wars or, or whatever it may be, they all point to the fact that the earth is about to be destroyed and that Jesus is coming back. The problem with that is that Jesus, when he walked the earth, didn't even know when he was coming back. So some of these end-time prognosticators seem to know more than Jesus. The other problem is that the first part of Matthew chapter 24 that often gets pointed to as a proof text that Jesus is coming soon, those events have already happened. The first part of Matthew chapter 24 is talking about events that have already occurred. We refer to them as the fall of Jerusalem or the abomination that causes desolation. And verse 34 is really the key in Matthew chapter 24 where it reads, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. This generation, the one that Jesus was speaking to in that moment, they were going to witness firsthand all the things surrounding the fall of Jerusalem. And they did. There were numerous conflicts under Caligula and Claudius and Nero. There were famines. There were earthquakes. Plus, as I've already stated, isn't it odd that these end-time prognosticators can tell you when Jesus is coming back? And very soon after these words, Jesus says, I don't know when I'm coming back. Another key to understanding all of this is verse 42. Verse 42 is where the conversation changes. Verse 42 says, therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. Listen to what Paul had to say to the church in Thessalonica. Now, as to the times and the epochs and brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. Paul and Jesus say basically the same thing. Quit trying to schedule Jesus' comeback tour. You don't know when it's going to happen. And that's the whole point, right? That's the whole point. Quit trying to give an exact date. What makes you think that you can predict that with any sort of certainty? But, and this is a very important point, but Jesus is coming back. We have his word on that. We know that this life is coming somewhere, going somewhere. We know that Jesus is coming back. We don't know his ETA these little chicken littles running around don't know his ETA, but we know it's going to happen. We even pray that it happens soon. So the fact that Matthew 24, at least the first part of it, is not talking about the return of Jesus doesn't mean that he's not coming back. Notice the rest of Matthew 24, verse 43 and following says, But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think that he will. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. 
But if that evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour which he does not know and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I want you to imagine you get a phone call. You hear your phone ring. You pull your phone out of your pocket and you look at it and you don't recognize the number. Thinking that it might be a spam call or you know, that car warranty business, you, you, you think about just ignoring it. But then you think, well, what if it's an emergency? And so you pick up, you say hello, and the person on the other end says, this is so-and-so, your burglar. You say, excuse me, what? Yeah, this is your burglar. I'm just giving you a courtesy call that I will be at your house sometime between 12 midnight and 5 in the morning. That would be strange, wouldn't it? Thieves don't typically call you to let you know that they're going to break into your home, that they're going to burglarize your house. You don't get that forewarning. So you make preparations in case that ever happens. You put up security cameras or, or, or maybe you, you know, um, you lock the door or you have alarms or, or whatever it is. Maybe you get a guard dog. Whatever it is to make certain that you're prepared if someone tries to break into your home and steal your valuable possessions or do something to hurt you. And that brings us to Matthew chapter 25 and these parables about preparation. Matthew 24 is a warning. It's the alarm going off. And Matthew 25 is, okay, so here's how you respond to the warning. Here's how you prepare. Don't waste your talent. Take advantage of opportunities when they come before you. Feed the hungry. Give the thirsty something to drink. Visit the sick and in prison. Be a sheep, not a goat, right? Matthew 24 is that warning light to let us know that something is on the horizon that we better be prepared for. And we know all about warnings, don't we? It's an amber alert on your phone or a tornado warning that goes off on your phone or it's, you know, your alarm that wakes you up in the morning. It's the refrigerator door that dings because you didn't close it all the way. Uh, our, our, our world is inundated with, with noise, right? Alarms, buzzers, our phone buzzes, it rings. There's all kinds of, of white noise going on around us all the time. We know about warnings. Let me ask you this. You ever run out of gas? How? I mean, how in the world does that happen nowadays? I, I mean, we, we've got a warning light. Mine tells you how much distance you have to empty. Mine will even pop up on the GPS screen all the local gas stations that are close. We have plenty of warning that we're about to run out of gas, right? How do we ever run out of gas? Because we ignore the warning sign. You know why people die in tornadoes? A vast majority of deaths in tornadoes is because they ignored the warnings. They've been told over and over again, there's a tornado in your area. Go to the lowest point in your house. Find an interior room. They hear the sirens going off, but nothing's ever happened before. They've never been struck by a tornado. Why worry about it too much? The warning signs are there. How do we respond? I believe the five foolish virgins ran out of oil for the very same reasons why people run out of gas. They ran out of oil because they ignored the warning signs. You ever been guilty of not trusting the gas gauge? You see it there, and you see it's on the orange. You see the lights on, but you think, eh, I've got plenty of miles to go. 
You click on the distance to empty. I've still got eight miles. Of course, you learn quickly that that's just a suggestion, that typically that's not exactly correct. It's approximate, right? Salvation is a personal decision, and it's one that we have been warned about the consequences of not taking advantage of that opportunity. You look at this story about the, uh, the wise and foolish virgins, and you think, well, why didn't the wise ones help out the foolish ones? Wouldn't that have been the Christ-like thing to do? Until you understand that this is a personal decision, right? Only you can make that decision. Only you can take care of yourself when it comes to personal salvation. So, we look at this story and we say, this is all on me. The onus is on me. No one can get you across the threshold. It's strictly up to you. It is your responsibility to prepare. It's your responsibility to heed the warnings. And Scripture is certainly filled with warnings, isn't it? Over and over again, we see the warning lights and the warning signs. Jesus closes the parable of the ten virgins with these words. Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. In other words, be prepared. Another reason people run out of gas is because they have this false confidence in the moment. Everything's going to be fine. I've driven it with the gas gauge that low before. And so you think, well, I'll just get gas in the morning. And then you wake up and you get halfway to work and realize, oh, I'm about out of gas. And so you get to work and you think, well, I'll just get it after work. Eventually, you run out of excuses to get gas. You break down by the side of the road. The warning light we think sometimes is just precautionary. It's just a suggestion. Things aren't dire just yet. And maybe that's the way the foolish virgins were thinking in the moment. They were excited about the coming of the bridegroom, as they should be. But in all their excitement, they didn't consider that there might be a delay. They should have, because if you know anything about Jewish weddings, a couple didn't just get married and hop on a camel and go to their, go to their honeymoon. That's not how it worked. So, the, the bridegroom would meet the bride at her house or a location that was appropriate for the wedding. And after the wedding, the festivities would continue on for at least a week, maybe more. There would be a parade through town until eventually they ended up in a location where there'd be more celebrating. Usually that was the, the, bride, the bride's house. And that parade, there's a lot of stops along the way. And so all the bridesmaids would be waiting there, waiting to go in and have the celebration. And it could take hours before the procession got there. They should have expected a delay. That was common in Jewish weddings. Yet they were foolish because they didn't prepare for that delay. Despite what these silly end-time forecasters say, they don't know when the bridegroom is coming. We don't know when the bridegroom is coming. He could come before we're finished here tonight. Our lives could end before tomorrow dawns. Everything may seem fine in the moment. Be careful not to live with a false sense of confidence that we have more time. There are also those who run out of gas because they wrongly assume that they have plenty of time to get it later. Many years ago, I was traveling to Seagraves, Texas for a funeral. And I was driving the uh, old four-wheel drive van that we used to have. Bradley Kreider and I were going to this funeral. That van got about eight miles to the gallon, and I'd never been to Seagraves, Texas. I got to La Mesa, and I thought, ah, we got about a fourth of the tank left. I, we'll be okay. There'll be somewhere to stop along the way. 
there's not anywhere to stop along the way, not between Lamisa and Seagraves. We were running on fumes once we pulled into the stripes in Seagraves, Texas. Sometimes we think there's always more time. I'll get right with God later in life. I'm going to sow my wild oats now while I can. I'm going to enjoy life to the fullest. I'll get right at some point. The wise person says, you know what? I'm going to El Paso, and I'm in Van Horn, and I don't really need gas, but I'm going to go ahead and fill up because there ain't much between the two. The wise person says, I'm going to be more than prepared. I'm not going to cut it close. I'm not going to bank on tomorrow because there may not be another chance to get it right and to be prepared. So that's the universal meaning. Matthew 25, all those parables, including the one we're looking at, is about being prepared. But you know me, I can't just settle for the surface meaning. There's something deeper, right? Remember the audience. Remember who Jesus is always speaking to, his disciples, those who want to be his disciples, perhaps, and those who are the religious leaders, the scholars, the scribes, and certainly they are at the forefront here in these parables. They are the ones that are going to get locked out. Because it was always intended for Israel to come together and meet the Messiah around the table and have this glorious banquet and celebrate for all eternity. And they missed their king. They forfeited that opportunity. They refused to prepare. The fulfillment of the law and the prophets would culminate in this elaborate wedding feast and celebration when the bridegroom arrived and Israel missed him. Notice verse 12, but he answered, truly I say to you, I don't know you. The bridegroom didn't even know his bride. How does that happen? How could God's people have missed the Messiah when everything in their past pointed to the anointed one? Who is Jesus speaking to here? Well, his audience is his disciples, and his message to them is, don't you miss it either. Don't you fall into the same camp. Make sure that you're prepared. Hopefully, we're paying attention to the warning signs. Hopefully, we're reading Scripture with expectation. Hopefully, we're living our lives in anticipation. We always talk about preparing for the worst. How about preparing for the best? How do we prepare for the best? How do we pack our bags and be ready for when Jesus returns? Well, the first thing I would say to you, if you want to be prepared, if you want to be prepared for Jesus' second coming, then live like his first coming mattered. After the parable of the wise and foolish virgins, Jesus tells another parable about a man who goes, on away, goes away on a journey, and before he leaves, he entrusts three slaves, each with certain amounts of money or talents. To one, he gives five talents. To another, two talents. To the third slave, he gives one talent. The first slave doubles, you know, what he was given. The second one doubles what he was given. The third one does what? Buries his talent. You know, he's afraid, so he just buries it. He didn't lose it, but he didn't increase it either. And the master returns, and he's incensed. He's angry with that third slave. He even calls him wicked and lazy. And do you know why? Because playing it safe doesn't take faith. If I don't perceive risk, then I don't need God. Stepping out and taking risk in my faith assures my need for God. And there's no good reason to do nothing. There's no such thing as a zero-talent individual. Don't bury your talent until Jesus returns. Live like his first coming mattered and have a risk-taking faith until he does return. 
The second thing I would say is be a sheep. The second parable there in Matthew chapter 25 concerns the day of judgment when Jesus goes separate the sheep and the goats. And what was the deciding factor between who would be a sheep and who would be a goat? Well, the deciding factor was those who took the opportunity to be Jesus to those who needed Jesus. Gave the thirsty something to drink, the hungry something to eat, clothed the naked, visited the sick, and imprisoned. Those are the sheep. The goats are the ones who forfeited that opportunity and who did nothing. You know, Paul talks to the Thessalonians about being prepared for the day that Christ returns. This was a problem because many of them, anticipating Christ's return, decided, well, what's the use in even doing anything? We're not going to work. We're not going to break our backs doing hard labor. Jesus is coming back. What's it all for? And Paul says, no, 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 that's not how this works. In the meantime, between now and not yet, you keep living life. You keep doing the works of God. You, no, no, uh, uh, no work, no food, right? No loaf for the loafer, maybe. Make sure that you are doing what you need to be doing because the moment you stop and just sit is when you become idle, of course, and that's when problems occur. And they were busybodies, they were troublemakers because they weren't active. Until Jesus returns, the hungry need food. The thirsty need something to drink. The naked need clothing. You know what goats do? Goats sit around and gripe and they butt at other people. That's what goats do. Sheep do something. And finally, I would say this. Live as if today is the day. You know, the, the longer it takes for something to happen, the more we wonder if it will ever happen. And it's easy to get complacent and think, well, Jesus hasn't come back in thousands of years. Is he ever really going to come back? Or does it really matter if I prepare today? And the answer to that question is absolutely. Paul had this to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. But this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened so that from now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none. And those who weep as though they did not weep, and those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, and those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For the form of this world is passing away. The key to that verse and understanding it is the time has been shortened. Paul had in his mind, the context of his writings here is that Jesus is coming back and he believed that that would be sooner than later. And because Jesus is coming back, you don't have time to gripe and complain with your wife and your marriage. You don't have time to celebrate too long. You don't have time to focus on things that are earthly and worldly because Jesus is coming back. Focus on the things that are eternal. Make certain that you are preparing, getting things in order so that when Jesus comes back, you're not just sitting in the terminal waiting for the call to board. No, you're being Jesus until Jesus comes back. I think that's great advice for us. To live with expectation. Jesus is coming back, so live like it. You know how I like to ask questions. Let me leave you with a question tonight. What do you want to be doing when Jesus returns? What do you want to be doing when Jesus returns? I can tell you what I want to be doing. I want to be preaching. I want to be serving. I want to be singing, Our God, He is alive. I want to be washing feet. I want to be visiting. I want to be doing Jesus things so that when Jesus returns, He finds me being Jesus. How about we all make that our mission? Between the now and not yet, we all be Jesus 
so that when Jesus comes back, he finds us being Jesus. I want to be looking in the sky saying, Lord, come quickly. I want to meet him in the air. I want to be found doing something meaningful. I want to be a well-prepared bride so that when the bridegroom returns, he says to me, well done. Isn't that what you want? People ask me sometimes, what's your biggest frustration as a minister? Well, when you have a great congregation like Oldham Lane, there's not a lot of frustrations. But I think one of the biggest frustrations that any minister will tell you they have is that folks don't always live with urgency. You know, they come to church, then they go about the regular week, and they, they don't live with urgency. Folks, Jesus is coming back, and we should want that to happen as soon as possible. And if you don't want that to happen as soon as possible, maybe it's because you're not quite prepared. So get prepared, and let us help you. Come as we stand and as we sing.